You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Today's guest is Alita Storch. Alita is a nutrition therapist, body trust provider, and the founder of Wise Heart Nutrition. Alita also specializes in supporting folks with eating disorders who also have ADHD. Today, we discuss her journey of recovering from an eating disorder while having ADHD, and we discuss the ways that folks can make recovery a little bit more ADHD-friendly. I promise that you are going to find this episode fascinating. And of course, if you know someone living with ADHD and struggling in recovery, please send that person this episode. You never know how it could change their life. Hi, Alita. How are you today? I'm doing good. I'm really excited to be here and have a conversation with you. I'm so excited too. I think I saw your Instagram a while ago and just thought, wow, we really need to have Alita on the show because I find ADHD has such an impact on a person's relationship with food. And, you know, it can also be related to eating disorders and disordered eating. So I was so excited to hear that you were ready to be on the show and be interviewed today. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You're so welcome. I guess before we dive into your story, I would love to quickly set the groundwork for what we're talking about today, which is, first of all, what is ADHD and why did you decide to become an ADHD dietitian? So kind of like, I'm assuming there's a lot to do with food in your role. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that is a great starting point. I think ADHD pretty misunderstood and has been for a really long time, but it is essentially like a neurobiological disorder where folks really struggle with executive function and emotional regulation. And so executive function is going to be things like working memory and organization, planning out steps, following through, that sort of stuff. Then the emotional regulation, ADHDers end up really heightened emotions, get really overwhelmed really easily, and that can further impact executive function. So those two together are kind of like primary components. It's not fully understood like why ADHD shows up the way that it does, but like one of the biggest explanations is that there is an issue with dopamine, that the amount of dopamine and the dopamine transporter in the brain are not functioning properly or that there are less of those things in the brain. And dopamine helps with executive function and with emotions. Wow. Okay. I'm really glad you clarified that because as you said, there's so much misinformation out there about ADHD. What are some of the, this is already off script, but how do you feel like ADHD? (laughs) Understood. (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, I think for so long it was seen as something that existed or was primarily diagnosed in like young, white, cis males. So it was like a little kid in the classroom that was bouncing off the walls, couldn't be controlled. It was really defiant. And while that is a single presentation of ADHD, it's so much more complex than that. And it prevents in so many different ways. And that's like across the gender spectrum and across cultures, ADHD is going to show up differently. And so especially for folks who present as female, ADHD often shows up with less of that hyperactivity and more of almost like an internal overwhelm. And that's because of the attention that like difficulty kind of filtering out different sources of stimulation. And so again, like for a lot of like female presenting folks, we've been socialized not to be right, like really rowdy and not be really loud. And so oftentimes that gets internalized. So that really gets missed, especially, yeah, like in younger females. The other misconceptions are that it's just like a squirrel brain and that we're kind of like all over the place, can't focus on one thing. But oftentimes ADHD shows up as more of like a hyper-focus or there's a lot of perfectionism that, that shows up with ADHD. And a lot of that is compensating for difficulties that we experienced growing up. Those are the big ones that, that I can kind of think of. Yeah, just that a lot of people go more. Yeah, I definitely remember growing up and hearing about ADHD. And it was always those like stereotypical little boys who are hyper and running around the classroom. And it must be hard when you're not that person to see yourself represented in like the ADHD world. So I'm, you know, again, I think it's really helpful to have you on the show to like bring this up. And, you know, as far as you being an ADHD dietitian, this just piques curiosity and this ADHD diagnosis must impact food. So I'm curious as an ADHD dietitian, like what do you help people do? I didn't even really recognize that ADHD and food and relationship with food were really intertwined until I like started on my process of becoming a dietitian. So when I was in grad school, I really noticed it within myself that I was struggling to feed my own body. And I guess kind of like backing up in undergrad, I struggled with an eating disorder and I did a lot of work around it. I got to see providers that were steeped in haze and intuitive eating, which was really cool. So I did my whole recovery process. And then in grad school, all of a sudden I was really struggling to feed myself again, but it didn't feel the same. It didn't feel rooted in diet culture or in body image concerns. And so I was really confused about like, why am I like binging at night? Why am I feeling like out of control with food? And then really understanding that I wasn't able to feed myself enough or consistently throughout the day because of my executive dysfunction. And so that, that was sort of like the start of my awareness and understanding of how ADHD and disordered eating or eating disorder would overlap. When I started grad school, I knew I wanted to work with eating disorders. So that was the primary population that I went into. And I worked at an eating disorder clinic for several years in Seattle. And a lot of the clients that I connected most with in the clinic were neurodivergent and I think presented somewhat atypically in that setting and were really struggling with recovery because recovery was looking so different for them than it was for like a classical presentation. Mm -hmm. 
Very interesting. I think it's fascinating how you had that original eating disorder experience, the recovery process, and you know what it felt like to be having an eating disorder rooted in body image concerns and, you know, all those kind of, quote, typical eating disorder roots. And then shifting to grad school, having disordered eating, but having it not based in what you experienced in the past. I feel like that takes a lot of awareness. Took a lot of self-reflection, a lot of therapy, (laughs) working with a therapist at the time. (laughs) She actually had done the program, the same program that I had done. So the nutrition and clinical health psychology program. And she really helped me highlight like how those two were kind of supporting one another. And helped me really realize that when I was younger, I was struggling with disordered eating, but because it wasn't, again, wasn't rooted in diet culture, it wasn't seen as an eating disorder. It wasn't seen as disordered eating. It was just seen as like, oh, you're like a tornado. You're a hot mess. You lose your lunchbox. You forget to bring lunch money. You let food you know, sit all day and you don't eat it. And so that was just more seen as like a personal failing versus like I was struggling with, with a different form of an eating. And so I think it was really helpful to see that it was there initially. And that that probably kind of set me up for more of that disordered eating when I got to college, because I was already like pretty undernourished and then kind of fed the eating disorder that way. Wow. Okay. So you had sort of the ADHD impacting you from a very young age with your relationship with food too. Okay, so that's pretty fascinating. So it went from ADHD symptoms of disordered eating morphed into an eating disorder, recovery from that lens, and more ADHD symptoms and eating together. Okay, wow. (laughs) Yeah, so many pieces. Yeah, so many pieces. Okay, so you brought up some of those behaviors that you had when you were young that felt really chaotic. So what are some of the struggles that people with ADHD face and like maybe some of the typical disordered behaviors that stem from having ADHD? Yeah. So definitely as kids, there's a lot more support in place that essentially like prevents the disordered eating from snowballing in many cases, right? So for me, like my parents were constantly reminding me to eat. They were packing my lunch. They were making sure essentially that I was fed as best as they could. And so then when I was in grad school and I didn't have any of that support, that's when things really fell apart. So a lot of the issues that I experience when I see with clients are things like not planning ahead. So so not having any ideas for meals and snacks and then feeling hungry midday, nothing in the fridge, or you can't figure out what to make from what's in the fridge. So that lack of planning is a really big issue. Food often goes to waste. ADHDers are more ashamed associated with like throwing out a bunch of produce because maybe they did plan ahead, but then actually executing that step when it comes to the time, whether it's because of like feeling burned out, feeling like we don't have the energy or just like not planning it enough time to actually make what it is that we planned. With medication or without medication, it can be really hard to connect with our bodies So there's a lack of essentially like interoceptive awareness. And so with eating disorders, right, a lot of the work is how to reconnect with those hunger and fullness cues. And with ADHD, it can be really hard to connect with them with or without an eating disorder. So that's just sort of an added layer. 
and medication as an appetite suppressant, right? So if we're telling people, right, like, you know, if you respond to hunger, you're connecting hunger, you're honoring hunger, you're responding to it, like that will help you nourish your body. For a lot of ADHDers, that doesn't resonate because it's really hard to notice hunger. Or if we do, it's sort of like, okay, well, I'll get to that in five I'll get to that in five minutes. And then five minutes is five hours. And I would say that's probably one of the biggest issues that I see with clients. But the the primary issue that clients show up with is what they say is binge eating, essentially. The quote unquote problem is binge eating. But what we find, as I'm sure you know, wait, working with eating disorders, it's often that folks aren't eating enough earlier in the day. So those are the big reasons, like not being able to tune in to our bodies and then just like not having like organization planning, prioritization. Around. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember what your original question was. I don't have an answer. <laughs> you did a great job handling that. It was, what are some of the struggles people with ADHD face related to eating and what are some of the behaviors attached? Yeah. So I guess one thing I'm curious about is that binge eating behavior, is that because folks are not intentionally restricting when they have ADHD? It's more they are pushing off meals and pushing off meals because there's maybe other tasks that they feel are more important. And then the binging happens because that's the moment they've finally given themselves food that day. Yeah, or, right, like the body can't take it anymore. And it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, just give me food. And as we know, like when the body is hungry or malnourished, we're going to go towards carbohydrates and sweets and fats. And so then it feels like, oh my gosh, I'm out of control with food. All I'm eating is cookies at 5 p.m. And so while that feels very much like a binge, it's more of that compensatory eating, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. But the restriction isn't necessarily always intentional and there are layers to that right like ADHDers also exist in diet culture and so there is a lot of intentional restriction so it's important to like kind of untangle those pieces like what pieces of the are coming from diet culture are coming from more of that classic like eating disorder mentality and what pieces are more like logistical or are ADHD based that are getting in the way of being able to recover or to feed yourself adequately. So when you were going through that, because you had like a period of probably unpacking your thoughts and trying to figure out where your disordered eating was coming from in grad school, what kind of clued you in to this being rooted in ADHD and not necessarily diet culture? That is a great question. I think a lot of it was like not feeling as much like guilt or shame when I finally did feed myself and it maybe like didn't fit right? like what we would call like a quote like balanced plate so when I was eating from like a compensatory perspective I guess or when when my eating was essentially getting my needs met I was a lot more accepting of that I really understood why that was happening And so while I felt like the guilt and shame of not being able to feed myself earlier in the day, it wasn't, the guilt and shame wasn't coming from when I was finally nourishing my body, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to be able to feed myself. And I think that was the biggest clue where 
I wasn't trying to avoid food. I was actually trying to get myself nourished and I just couldn't seem to figure out how to do that. So that really helped me figure out like, okay, like I'm not slipping back into my eating disorder. It's just like these layers that were never addressed. They were sort of hidden by the eating disorder for so long. Yeah. So I guess for people listening, just if they're confused on, is this an ADHD issue or is this an eating disorder issue? Maybe checking in with the emotions you feel after nourishing yourself. Like if you're feeling kind of relieved and happy that you managed to feed yourself, that's probably more of like coming from ADHD healing standpoint, where if you were ashamed and mad at yourself, it might be sign that the restriction was coming from an eating disorder. Yeah. Or that those are layered on top of each other, right? That yeah. that maybe the ADHD is there. <laughs> so yeah. It's just a little puzzle, right? <laughs> but that there's like, you know, that there is like diet culture or disordered eating that still needs to be unpacked or that needs to be untangled first mm-hmm. before addressing the executive dysfunction. Because you can't fully heal if you're not addressing, right? Like those beliefs and those attitudes towards food. Mm-hmm. So when you were going through your eating disorder recovery, how did you support yourself recovering with ADHD? I mean, not super gracefully. I would say like the first couple of years I was in undergrad. And so I had access to food through the cafeteria, which made things a little easier in terms of like when I knew that I needed to eat, food was available. I also had a lot of friends around me. And so people were kind of, it was normalized, right? That we were eating throughout the day. But I don't think my recovery really came until I actually moved back home with my parents. I was for a job in Portland. It was like 2008. There were no jobs available. And so I just ended up moving. And I think just having that support, like both the moral support and the logistical support where like my mom was a fantastic cook and she would always make sure dinner was on the table. I had, I mean, a lot of privilege in that, in being able to recover in that way. But that, I would say that's where the recovery happened. And then moving away from that back to grad school was when everything just sort of fell apart again. And when I was home, I was working in a restaurant. So again, there was like access to food. Food was kind of happening all the time around me. And then grad school, there was a lot less of that. Okay. Okay. So when someone is recovering from an eating disorder with ADHD, what are some things they can do to set themselves up for success? Because I'm sure it's just so difficult with the executive function mixed in there and the low introceptive awareness. And then you mentioned medication, that <laughs> hunger. So how do you navigate recovery with yeah. ADHD? Yeah, there are just layers on layers on layers. And that's one of the biggest issues that we see like in eating disorder treatment is folks can do really well in higher levels of care, right? Like in a partial hospitalization where they're being fed three meals a day, pretty easy to feed yourself when that is just like part of your routine. But then coming out of that, that's where people really struggle. And so obviously like depending on the severity of the eating disorder, that's going to look different. But for someone who is maybe in a higher level of care, really working with the team to set up those systems, before stepping down. So maybe that means like signing up for a meal service before mm-hmm. even stepping down to like, you know, a three hour a day program and trying it out and seeing does that work to have either like 
meals that, that you make or meals that are pre-made. So really experimenting with something like that and setting up different forms of accountability can be very helpful. So making sure that, that folks aren't eating alone when possible or, you know, that they have, maybe they have like a roommate who knocks on their door whenever they're going to eat lunch and doesn't say like, you need to eat, right? But knocks on the door and says, hey, I'm having lunch, lunchtime. So kind of setting those things up. So yeah, like the external reminders are really, really, really important, which in the intuitive eating world, that kind of goes against what we're taught, right? We're taught like we should really listen to our bodies and have like that internal system that's going to remind us to eat, remind us what to eat or help us figure out what to eat. But with ADHD, like that external system is so important. So setting that up along the way. And then if someone is working outpatient, a lot of it is, you know, just experimenting with different things as you're going, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't. And I really like to remind ADHD where like one tool isn't going to work forever and it's not going to work for everything. So it might be that like you've subscribed to a meal service, but then you get really bored of it after four months. So planning ahead, right? Like ADHD are motivated by novelty. So when that novelty wears off, what plan? And maybe setting notifications to cancel, right? <laughs> the meal delivery service and maybe a notification to sign up for a new one would be helpful in that situation. And that's just like one example of a tool. But it's really putting systems in place that are really easy to work with. Mm-hmm. That's super helpful. I love the idea of like the meal service because it's so nice. You don't even have to go grocery shopping. <laughs> it's helpful for people without ADHD too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it can like help with creativity. I have a lot of folks who like, you know, never learned to cook growing up. And so having like meals that are a little easier with, with the recipes included, right? That will then like, help them learn some basic cooking skills that maybe then they can implement later on when they're not using the meal service. So there are a lot of benefits and like meal services, you know, can be expensive and not everyone has access to that. So even things like working with your dietitian and making sure you're covered and stuck with food, right? Having abundance, having adequacy. And with that is probably going to come more waste, but being able to accept that is really important that like, yep, you're probably going to forget that those open crackers existed and they're going to be stale and you're going to have to throw them out, but at least they're there or they were there, right? Mm-hmm. For a period of time. Yeah. Having access, having abundance, having variety and working with a team to set that up. Mm, I love those suggestions. That's really helpful. You also mentioned novelty and that was just pretty interesting to me because I could imagine that that helps people continue on because even non-ADHDers probably want some novelty in recovery. So do you have any other ideas of how novelty can kind of be supported in recovery? Yeah, so it doesn't even necessarily have to be like you're having a new food all of the time. You can get really creative and think about like, is there like a new space that I can eat this in? Or could I add something novel? Like maybe I'm watching a TV show while I'm eating, which again, like goes against, right? Like diet culture and even like the mindful eating approach. Uh, But having something like new and exciting to do while you're eating could be part of that, that novelty experience. Or it could be just like subbing out one ingredient. And so, you know, that's kind of think like, 
macaroni and cheese and you always have it properly, you know, could you try it with like a salad or could you try it with carrots or I don't know, <laughs> but, you know, insert whatever you want. You don't have to like reinvent the wheel because I think that can feel really overwhelming. I do have clients who will like choose like maybe like one vegetable or one protein a month that they're experimenting with like preparing different ways or seeing like what are all the different ways that I can use this and that can kind of like gamify the experience Um, but keep things relatively simple with some novelty added in. Yeah. This sounds kind of fun. Like, I'm gamifying my food experience. So when you say gamify, like you mentioned challenging yourself to prepare like a certain vegetable as many ways as you can throughout a month. What are some other examples of gamifying that you've seen in your practice? I just love this concept. Yeah, I think some of the, the best ones. I mean, I've had clients like try and see like how quickly they can prep an ingredient, right? Because if like prepping feels like, oh, it's the last thing I want to do. Okay. Can you cut this up within like three minutes? Go. It makes it like a little more fun. Obviously be careful with the heads and then when you're trying to rush through things. Clumsiness is also ADHD trait. But yeah, just sort of like setting up different little challenges for yourself. Even like presenting or setting with the food like on the plate in a certain way. Yeah. I would say mostly like the like, can I do this in a certain amount of time? Or like, what are the ways that I can assess? Has there ever been any sort of reward system that works as far as motivating folks with ADHD to eat? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think ADHDers are really motivated by like in the moment, right? That instant gratification is really appealing. And so oftentimes when when like a reward system gets suggested, it's like, mm, yeah, like I'm not going to do that. You know, if I know that I'm going to get something later on, that's not motivating. But is there like an in the moment reward? So is it like, okay, if I prep, I can like watch this episode of The Office while I prep. So kind of building in in the moment rewards can be a little bit more effective. And like that adds right to the dopamine and it adds the enjoyment and the novelty of the experience. So it's kind of targeting like lots of different areas by having it again, like in the moment. Very interesting. While you were talking, I was thinking about like behaviors and like when I coach people, I often ask them to think about the delayed gratification of not using an eating disorder behavior. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You want to purge, like sit with the discomfort of not purging and enjoy delayed gratification after the fact. Right. So I'm thinking this must be the idea of delayed gratification must be really difficult for folks with ADHD. Do you find that impacts their like ability to stop using disordered behaviors? Yes. Absolutely. And that's where like that emotional dysregulation comes up so much, right? Because it's like, if I can't use this behavior, then I'm going to feel a lot of emotion and that's really uncomfortable. And so I satisfy that urge right now by using this behavior. So one thing that I've really noticed, and again, like first within myself and then within clients is that moving emotions through the body is really helpful for for ADHDers, for neurodivergent folks, that we store a lot of emotion in our body. And so even things like fidgeting, right, is kind of a way of releasing something. And so I like to have have clients try and like replace that behavior with some form of like somatic release, whether it's like shaking really hard or 
punching the pillow or whatever they need to kind of move that discomfort through their body. So they're not just like sitting with it, like, oh, it's really uncomfortable. That in itself can be rewarding, right, in the moment. And then after, like maybe if they didn't purge that night, right, like noticing like the next morning, really sitting with like, what, did that, what does that feel like to know that you were able to get through that experience? And being able to connect with that is really, really important because ADHDers really struggle with like learning from our experience and then applying that to a future experience. So that can really sit in that reward of like, like I made it through the night without purging. Awesome. It'll be easier going into the next urge to kind of reflect back. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when you do actually like not go for the instant relief of a behavior, like kind of celebrating that and letting that really sink in, reflecting on what you learned from that experience and how it made you feel. Yeah. Yeah. But finding relief in like some other way, okay. right? Because okay. that instant, that gratification is so important. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Very interesting. I'm learning so much. So when it comes to like ADHD, you also mentioned the idea of intuitive eating and how, first of all, when we think about like fundamentally what intuitive eating is it's coming from your ability to tap into your own hunger and fullness and you know asking yourself what do you feel like what do you want and of course this is challenging after everything you've explained for folks with ADHD to do so is intuitive eating possible for people with ADHD I, I, I know it is, but I want you to explain like exactly how someone with ADHD might be able to kind of tap into intuitive eating. Yeah. Yeah. Intuitive eating is, is often, right, like presented as like, listen to your hunger, honor your fullness. And, and if you can really connect with your body, then you can nourish it. And again, like we talked about ADHDers really struggle with that. And so I like to think about like, what are some ways to increase the possibility of tuning in to our bodies? Because we're not just going to, like, out of thin air be like, oh, I'm noticing my stomach is grumbling and I'm hungry now I'm going to eat. But right, if, there, if there's an external source that can remind us to do, like, a body scan or a check-in, then we can decide, like, am I actually hungry, Right. So I don't need to like set up a schedule where I eat at noon every day and I don't, you know, I don't stray from that. I'm going to be rigid because that isn't intuitive at all. But having a reminder to check in and notice, am I hungry? Then you kind of get to tune in and make the choice. That's usually like the approach that I take with hunger. And the same thing with fullness. Oftentimes clients, you know, for the first couple of months will set like a timer 15 minutes into the meal. And we have to be careful because right, diet culture would say like, you know, set a timer for 15 minutes and then stop. But we use that 15 minutes as a check-in point of like, how am I feeling? You know, how much more am I wanting to eat? Does this still taste good? Am I, you know, am I feeling satisfied? So that there's like a choice point and either choice, like there, one choice isn't better than the other. Right. That it gives you the opportunity to make like an informed or an empowered choice. So again, it's like really setting up those, I like to call them brain traps, where you're kind of interrupting, <laughs> where you would just normally like steam well ahead, really interrupting and pausing. And again, that often has to come from something external. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a really good yeah. life skill though, to just set up moments for yourself to check in. <laughs> 
totally. Yeah. Yeah. And like one of my favorites that I used for a long time was I was like, I have to go to the bathroom, right? Like I might put it off for a long time, but eventually I, I do have to go pee. And so I'd put a post-it on the bottom side of my toilet seat and it was like, have you eaten? And so every time I went to the bathroom, it was like a little reminder. And again, I didn't have to eat it every time, right? Yeah. But it, it was an opportunity for me to be like, oh, actually, yeah, it has been a while. Maybe I'll go get a snack. So yeah, kind of those getting creative because yeah. alarms get exhausting, right? The little like notifications on the computer and exhausting, you just tune them out. Um, yeah. So really getting creative with how, how to prompt yourself to tune in. Yeah. I totally have set alarms for myself and ignore them. <laughs> After a while, yeah. some repeating yeah. events on my phone where I told myself I'd commit to social media at this time. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think especially like COVID, right? Post-COVID, like no one has structure. <laughs> We're still all figuring it out. Yes. Um, alarms. Yeah. There's too many alarms. <laughs> <laughs> I like the sticky note idea with bathroom toilet that's kind of (laughs) but yeah I totally see how like there is no shame in having those external cues just to remind yourself okay it's time for me to eat or have I eaten today and how do I feel right now do I feel hungry I do get really curious about the intersection of an actual eating disorder and ADHD because I could see like how your eating disorder would hijack ADHD and just be like, well, I have ADHD, therefore I don't feel hunger cues and therefore I guess I don't have to eat, right? I just feel like that would be so difficult to navigate. Absolutely, yeah. And and there is such an overlap between eating disorders and ADHD, unfortunately, and not a lot of resources to help address both of those at the same time. I feel like, and this was true for me in my own recovery, was really connecting with values and what really matters most was, I would say, like the key or the ticket that kind of got me on the road to recovery. Because if I was just recovering because I'm supposed to, or right, like I want to feel better, but I don't even know what that means, that wouldn't have been very motivating. But really connecting to like the why of making decisions of using those choice points and so maybe if someone you know really values big family family is really important and they know that when they get really hungry they get really hangry they get really mean right they tend to fight with their partner more often or maybe they just isolate more really connecting to like i don't want that i want to be able to like sit down and like enjoy the time with my partner and if that means feeding myself now I feel more motivated to do that because again, right? Like that value of family means more to me than the eating disorder. Um, and so I found that that resonates with a lot of ADHD is again, like finding your why and really connecting to your reasons for doing things. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Like, cause we talk about values all the time in eating disorder recovery mm-hmm. and just goes to show how anchoring it could be to because it supersedes eating disorder and ADHD. It's like you can be beyond both if you anchor to your values. Yeah, it makes it harder to like just say, I'll put that off in five minutes, right? If it's like, oh, that actually like is pretty important to me. Mm-hmm. We're more likely to do it now. But yeah, we really exist in the now. 
One thing that you did bring up that reminded me of client I had with ADHD was the medication and how it suppresses appetite. Did you ever have to deal with that? And what was that like for you? Yeah, yeah, very, very frustrating. So stimulant medication is going to suppress appetite. And typically at the beginning of someone taking it, it's going to be more intense and then it will sort of like level off over time. But it doesn't necessarily like that, that appetite suppression doesn't necessarily go away. So I would say like 90% of my clients who are on medication come to me saying like, I don't eat all day, right? Like I take my meds in the morning, I'm really productive. I don't feel hunger. And then five o'clock hits and I am like a ravenous monster and I can't stop. And so it really sets up this restrict binge cycle and it can feel really intense and really out of control and really overwhelming. But coming off the medication means right? Like the ADHD is well-managed. So there are options where like there are non-stimulant medications and they don't work for everybody. So I always encourage people to be open to experimenting with those medications, knowing they can always come back to a stimulant. And obviously like they're doing with their, their psych provider or, or their doctor. Something that I have found to be really helpful that a lot of doctors are not prescribing these stimulants anymore is the immediate release. <laughs> so there are two different types of stimulant medications. There's like an immediate release and there's an extended release. The extended release lasts eight hours. So you're not going to feel hungry for eight hours. Immediate release is like three to four hours. And so I have had clients have a lot of success with taking immediate release multiple times per day because then they're sort of getting that natural arc of, I'm not hungry, now I'm hungry. I'm not hungry, not hungry. Um, and it, it kind of correlates with their medication. Unfortunately, a lot of doctors are not prescribing those to adults anymore because the fear of addiction. I think that that kind of gets in the way of eating disorder recovery to not have access to that. But definitely, I think worth exploring as a possibility. Okay, very interesting. I appreciate you expanding on that because I just know like an eating disorder could kind of like the idea of this appetite suppressing medication. And like really, if you're someone listening and has this, you know, medication. It's like, please call yourself out if you're using this medication as a form of restriction. Yeah. And no, like the medication is going to wear off, right? And and you can't just take them back to back because you won't sleep. You, you know, you're not going to feel very good. And so I think knowing like your body is incredibly smart and it is going to do what it needs to do to to get the nourishment that it needs so that five o'clock time like you are going to end up binging and that's your body like doing its job to keep you alive and so i think that can be like motivating for people to try and feed themselves earlier in the day mm -hmm. but just knowing it does wear off yeah that's a really good reminder it's like you think your eating disorder thinks you're gonna find that way to never feel hungry and you're like eh, not necessarily you're just going to feel later once the medication wears off Exactly. Yeah. And that blood sugar, right? Blood sugar management is really, really important. Like if you have low blood sugar all day, your ADHD symptoms are going to be worse. And so the medication are even really going to feel like it's working. And then all of a sudden you have really high blood sugar from binging, right? Like you're also going to feel pretty crappy. And so I think oftentimes when people feel like they're their ADHD symptoms are out of control, it can actually be more of a matter of blood sugar, just spiking and pinking and spiking and pinking. 
Wow. I actually did not know that about ADHD behaviors or symptoms and blood sugar and how those correlate. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. I'd say like that is most of the work that I do, like when it comes to actual, right? Like the actual nutrition part is how to stabilize that because things like lack of focus or concentration, feeling tired and all of those things, yes, they occur in ADHD, but they also are sensitive of sugar. Yeah. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And those are also just signs of anyone not eating for an extended period of exactly. time. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like your brain is working, right? Like if you feel nourished, your brain is like, okay, I'm going to conserve energy now. And the brain needs all the help it can get. <laughs> yeah. 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 See that everyone eating regularly has benefits. It really does. Yeah. The consistency is so important. And that is like, I use kind of like a pyramid framework and that is the bottom of the pyramid is like, eat every two to three hours, doesn't really matter what, right? But just kind of, again, like stabilizing that blood sugar as much as possible throughout the day as a starting point is going to have the most benefit and then worry about everything else. Mm-hmm. Such a helpful reminder. I think eating regularly and eating enough are just so helpful for all folks when it comes to no matter what your diagnosis is. <laughs> yep. So, very helpful. So how would you suggest someone who is struggling with ADHD and an eating disorder begin their journey of healing? What would you say are the first steps? So if anyone listening feels like really, you know, like they've been called out, what can they do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think finding it therapist who understands both of those things, understands neurodivergence and understands eating disorders. And there are a lot more of those people out there, right? That that specialty has really been growing in the last like two to three years. They, they are available. A dietitian, you know, if that feels necessary. And again, a dietitian who really understands neurodivergence and also hopefully eating disorders. So really building a team that that can support like both aspects of that journey. I think support group can be really great as well, just because with eating disorder recovery, right? Like you're fighting against kind of the dominant culture and trying to accept, you know, accept your body and reconnect with food in a positive way. And that can feel really hard. But when you layer ADHD on top of it, you're also fighting against like that neurotypical culture and trying to learn how to like accept your brain that that functions differently, right? Like we're not trying to change our brains because that's going to happen, but to do those simultaneously can be really hard. And so I think being around other people who have that same lived experience can just make the journey so much easier. Oftentimes support groups are a lot more accessible in terms of like finances. And so even just having that, I think could be really useful. But again, like seeking out ADHD specific providers and knowing like, yeah, it is a very different approach. And so that's really important. Mm, thank you for that. I love that piece of advice. I love community too. I think it's so helpful, support groups. I also found it really striking when you mentioned how people with ADHD and eating disorders have to fight against diet culture. And they also have to fight against like the neurotypical culture and just working on accepting their brain, which is a neurodivergent brain, 
that sounds like a lot. So I have a ton of compassion for people having to navigate that as well. Yeah, it's a lot of different layers and they're both equally important. And I think that's becoming more understood within the eating disorder community now that like you can't recover from an eating disorder without addressing ADHD and you can't manage the ADHD without recovering from an eating disorder. So those really have to occur. Mm. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Alita, for all of your wisdom and knowledge and information today. We got some helpful tips, which I love. Could you please share with everyone how they can find you if they'd like to work with you? Yeah, definitely. So I am at wiseheartnutrition.com. My website is there and there's a whole page on ADHD. I have a group program, it's workshop. And then I'm on Instagram. My handle is at the underscore ADHD underscore RD. You can find all my contact info there. And we are taking it out. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Alita. I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. Thank you. You as well. It's been an awesome conversation. 